Welcome back to The Break Room. I'm your host, Morgan Hensley, and thank you for joining us for episode 19. The Medicare Shared Savings Program launched in 2012 and currently serves more than 10 million beneficiaries through 487 Shared Savings Accountable Care Organizations, or ACOs. In late 2018, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, issued a final rule that revamped this program under a new name, Pathways to Success. This updated program, which officially began on July 1, 2019, was designed to advance accountability, competition, engagement, integrity, and quality. The revised program aims to fast-track accountability by encouraging physicians to take on risk. Data shows that ACOs who have skin in the game perform better than those that do not. CMS Administrator Seema Verma said, Pathways to Success is a bold step toward quality healthcare at a lower cost through competition and beneficiary engagement. She went on to add, that Medicare can no longer afford to support programs with weak incentives that do not deliver value. As we structure new payment arrangements, the impact on the overall market will be top of mind. Today we'll talk with Sam Starbuck, the Associate Vice President of Privia Quality Network. Sam works hand-in-hand with Privia providers to understand the goals of each value-based program and make sure providers have the tools, talent, and technology necessary to be successful. Sam, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely, Morgan. Thanks for having me. So to start out, can you give a high-level overview of Pathways to Success, uh, particularly with regards to uh, ways in which it might differ from Medicare Shared Savings Program, which it replaces? Absolutely. And uh, I'd say if I had to sum this up in, in one word, it would be accountability. So for us, you know, the past six years, we've uh, participated in the Track 1 ACO as well. Uh, So have many other organizations, uh, you know, have sat in that Track 1 piece of the Medicare Shared Savings Program, which has very little accountability when it comes to, uh, you know, cost. Uh, It's an upside-only program, and um, if you look at the data, I believe over 70% of the ACOs in the country are sitting in that Track 1 ACO. And uh, historically, CMS has not forced anyone to move in any direction, and that's changing with the new program that starts today. So in the new Pathways to Success program, CMS has come out with uh, a couple of key changes uh, to, you know, change that accountability the first is they're, they're forcing ACOs to move to downside risk over a, a period of time. Uh, dependent on an ACO's history in the program, they're forced to go into downside risk either in year two uh, or in year three, uh, depending on their history. So for us, we, we have no choice. If we want to continue into the shared savings program, we are going to be in downside risk at the latest in 2021. Uh, so you can see CMS has taken this whole risk thing seriously, and they're asking folks to come to the table and, and to take accountability and be a true partner to them in this initiative. Uh, there's a couple other big changes uh, as well. They're starting to differentiate between what they call low-revenue and high-revenue ACOs. Uh, personally, as you know, leading Privia Medical Group's ACO, being an independent 
uh, physician-led ACO, we see this as a benefit and a nod from CMS uh, to exactly what the data is telling us, and that is that independent medical, independent physician-led ACOs have historically been more successful in achieving and driving savings in the ACO programs compared to their peers um, that have hospital-affiliated or hospital-led ACOs. And so in the new program, CMS is actually differentiating between high-revenue or hospital-led ACOs and low-revenue or physician-led ACOs and uh, creating some, some you know, different components of their program based off of that status, uh, the largest uh, of which is the, the downside risk thresholds. So for us, this is a good thing. Uh, I think CMS is acknowledging that their physician-led you know, uh, groups and ACOs in this program are, are taking it seriously and being true partners to them. And um, between that and the continued push on accountability, it's going to be interesting to see as we get into uh, the launch of this new program, what, what the results are and, frankly, how many folks choose to continue to participate. Yeah, Sam, thank you for touching on that. Uh, one aspect that uh, is especially uh, prevalent is, like you say, the aspect of accountability. Um, Pathways to Success is designed around five goals, accountability being one of them. The other four are competition, engagement, integrity, and quality. Those sound sort of lofty, maybe a little vague. Uh, would you please help pinning down and defining what those terms mean for our listeners and how they factor into Pathways to Success? Yeah, certainly, Morgan. And I'd say, you know, I'm not going to give the uh, the CMS for- formal definition, but going to touch on kind of my, my opinion on those. And I think I talked pretty extensively on the first accountability. And uh, the way I describe this is there's a forced move to the right quote unquote, meaning uh, you start in an upside only, it's not a risk bearing track, uh, but you're forced to move to the right each and every year based off of your participation, which means you will be taking on risk over a period of time. So that accountability um, leg of the stool is pretty clear. And, uh, you know, it's something that CMS is taking seriously. The competition part, you know, is, uh, frankly, we see as a benefit, I think it encourages um, if ACOs within local regions to outperform one another because the way the program structured, there's credits back to you as a high-performing ACO within your local region, which again results in you know greater savings distributed to your providers. So that that piece is clear, and you know we appreciate uh, CMS is uh, you know constructing the program in that way. Uh, you know, given our status as uh, we've historically been pretty high-performing within our regions. You know, engagement is a leg of the stool that CMS continues to put more and more emphasis on as time goes, uh, as we move forward in the ACO program. Uh, When the ACOs were first started, you know, there were pieces of the program that required you to communicate your participation to patients. Um, You know, there's some requirements around how you communicate, you know, certain, uh, you know, changes to your practice and, you know, patients being attributed and their act you know, their access to data and et cetera, et cetera. But you can see CMS continuing to put more and more emphasis on this, not only in the Medicare Shared Savings Program, but in some of their new initiatives that are coming out as well. And there's no difference this, There's no difference to that in the Pathways to Success Program, where they're now changing uh, some ways to communicate with patients. They're changing ways 
that patients can uh, choose to be attributed to ACOs through, you know, online, uh, through the online portal and selecting providers. So this is, uh, you know, it's something we, we, is a foundation for us at Privia. And, you know, we take really seriously in how we communicate with patients and engage them in their care, uh, you know, because we do believe that an educated and informed patient is the, you know, one of the keys to success. You know, integrity and quality all kind of bucket into one. I think they're in some way, shape, or form go without saying. Uh, if you're going to, you know, enter into a program like this, you need to have the integrity to, uh, you know, to take the challenge and take it seriously. Um, I think CMS is, is probably a little frustrated by the fact that so many ACOs have sat in track one and not truly taken on that risk partnership for the past, you know, six to 10 years. And uh, the integrity here is to, to take this seriously and to be a true partner with them and provide high quality care that's over, you know, going to increase the outcomes for, improve the outcomes for their population as, and, and decrease the overall cost. So, you know, that's the, uh, the Sam Starbuck take on those five pillars, but, uh, you know, we'll have to check in with CMS and see what they have to say about that. I, I like the Sam Starbuck take. That was very helpful. Thank you. Um, I want to change paths, uh, no pun intended, a little bit, um, and ask you uh, about uh, how perhaps pathways to success, given that Medicare is the largest payer, um, might redirect the industry and how some of these changes might trickle down throughout it. So what does this new plan say about the direction of the healthcare industry generally um, and about value-based care more specifically? Uh, and how quickly might these changes trickle down into commercial plans and spread throughout the industry? I know uh, value-based care adoption has so far lagged pretty far behind projections and expectations. Do you think that might continue? Uh, what's your take on it? Yeah, Morgan, that's a, that's a great question and one I spend probably too much time thinking about, uh, you know, as I sit in my office. Um, but uh, I, I think the, the short answer to, your, to the question, and the, there's multiple questions kind of nested in there, is that uh, it is true, but it's going to take time. And, you know, what I mean by that is there's multiple, multiple factors at play here. You know, if you look at overall, our economy is doing well. And when people are, you know, overall making money, then, you know, the cost of care necessarily isn't necessarily something that's in the back of their head. But I think that's slowly starting to change. We've seen even over the last couple of weeks in the news, a lot of uh, information and, uh, and legislation being proposed about, uh, you know, being transparent with healthcare costs and trying to eliminate the, the surprise medical bills. But at the end of the day, you've, there's multiple constituents in the healthcare industry, and you've seen a lot of pushback from the hospital systems and, uh, you know, from the payers and many others uh, on the transparency around costs. So, um, you're right. When CMS first rolled out the MSSP programs, you've seen we've seen over the the past few years the commercial payers start to adopt aspects of that program. You know, I can say that uh, while we do participate in in almost all of the large commercial value based programs here in, in, within our ACO and uh, have been fortunate enough to been be successful in them, I think this is another large leap. Um, and, you know, we will see how uh, quick the commercial payers are to, to react. And at the end of the day, it all comes back to 
uh, incentives. Uh, if you think about us as individuals, and if there's no incentive for those commercial payers to uh, move move this way, you know the incentive for the government's pretty clear, right? Uh, healthcare spending um, as a percentage of our gross GDP as a country is is off the charts, and it's uh, continuing to rise, and it's unsustainable. But as a commercial insurer in the industry today, uh, my take is they're all still doing pretty well. And so the incentive that is in place for the federal government is not necessarily in place for the commercial payers. Um, now, that said, the, the incentive to provide better quality care and, and lower cost care is certainly there for everyone involved in the system. Uh, but again, it's going to take some time. And, uh, you know, the Pathways to Success program is certainly a step in the right direction. And, and we're very enthusiastic about that, uh, given the infrastructure and, and, uh, and what we've built, uh, especially with our provider group here in the mid-Atlantic market. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about how Pathways to Success factors in other types of trends uh, and the inevitable innovation that occurs within the industry. For instance, I've read that there are major reforms built into Pathways to Success around new beneficiary incentives, telehealth, and choice of beneficiary assignment methodology. So those are a couple big words, but could you please elaborate on those revisions and uh, share with us any updates that excite you? Yeah, certainly. And, you know, the the quote I would use uh, from a colleague of mine is that the Pathways to Success program is is just a tip of the the tip of the spear uh, when it comes to the the innovation within the industry, and you know you have to give CMS a lot of credit. They are very methodical and thoughtful about how they go about rolling out new uh, programmatic changes, and a lot of what we're seeing in the Pathways to Success program, you know, you referenced. Uh, the opportunity to do beneficiary incentive programs, uh, the opportunity to get reimbursed for telehealth services, um, beneficiary assignment methodology, another big one that we're very interested in is the SNF three-day waiver. All of these sorts of things are things, uh, all these sorts of things are, CMS has plenty of information and experience doing. And, you know, they've been doing it for many years in the Medicare Advantage world. Uh, they've been doing it for some period of time in the next-gen or pioneer ACO world. And, you know, they are not moving forward with things that they know are not going to drive value. And so when you see these things come out, you know CMS is, is, doing, it in, uh, is doing it because it's, it is going to add value. And it's just about understanding these innovations within your population and within your ACO and, and identifying which ones are, are going to add that value uh, to your group and to your patients. And, uh, you know, s some of the things that we're really excited about, I alluded to, uh, certainly are the SNF three-day waiver, which allows ACOs to bypass the three-day um, stay in an inpatient facility before admitting a patient to for a skilled stay. You know, we believe there's a lot of wasted cost in the system uh, in, in this rule, and uh, we you know, applying for the waiver will allow us to bypass that three-day stay and, you know, to, to really, uh, frankly, provide more timely uh, care for our patients uh, while also taking a lot of cost out of the system. Um, but, you know, the, these other things that you mentioned around beneficiary incentives, it all comes down to enabling us to better engage our patients uh, in the care. You know, we talked briefly on the prior question about incentives for companies, incentives for organizations. 
but at the end of the day, you know, we're all patients and let's think about how we as individuals react to incentives. I uh, think if, uh, you know, me as an individual, if I get that little extra, you know, uh, dollar amount deposited into my HSA, if I go get my annual physical and complete my HRA, you know, I'm more likely to do it. And, uh, you know, we're all, generally speaking, similar in that way. So Medicare is acknowledging that and trying to innovate and allow new ways for to engage patients in their health care and, frankly, keep them more engaged, which is going to improve quality and reduce cost. And some of these other things are like telehealth and beneficiary assignment methodology. I mean, frankly, uh, Morgan, I think it just comes down to uh, kind of catching up with the times, right? Um, we have a bevy of technology available to us in today's world, and it's it's foolish not to take advantage of them. And if we, if you look at the statistics, the you know uh, the the highest users of the iPad are the AARP population, and there's no reason why we shouldn't be using telehealth uh, and other modes of technology to engage patients in their care and, frankly, meet them where they are. So, you know, we're excited about that as well as the ability to engage patients through the portal and, and let them select primary care providers, um, you know, to, to cl more closely align them with our ACO uh, so that we can take better care of them. So, you know, just to wrap that up, I think the pathways to su success, is, it's the tip of the spear. There's, there's going to be more to come, and, um, and I think as technology evolves and, and uh, ACOs continue to innovate, that's only going to, uh, to get better over time, and it kind of comes back to the classic adage of rising tide lifts all boats, and, and we're excited about, about what uh, CMS is doing with this stuff. Yeah, thank you, and I'm excited too. It's, it's, really, um, it's really exciting to see these services recognized at such a high level and to have that sort of uh, endorsement from CMS. One aspect that you mentioned earlier is that Pathways to Success divides accountable care organizations into uh, low revenue and high revenue. And I want to expand on that a little bit. So low revenue ACOs, which is to say, you know, for all intents and purposes, non-hospital ACOs, often outperformed high-revenue ACOs in terms of per-member savings. Uh, at the same time, many of these smaller ACOs have actually opted not to proceed with Pathways to Success, uh, many of them citing that the high-speed transition to downside risk is intimidating, if uh, not impossible, for them to succeed. So I'm wondering, do they have a point, uh, and how can CMS better reward these groups while helping shift them to succeed in performance-based risk? Morgan, you're, uh, you're throwing some lofty questions at me here, um, but you know, your, your statement is exactly right, and uh, it comes back to the, the old adage of they call it risk for a reason, and you know, that's never been more true than now in the Pathways to Success program. And, I think it is, it is. We're fortunate in our position of being a large, uh, a larger group, and thus a larger ACO, and uh, fortunate enough to have a, you know, a good capital backing. But that's not the case for many of these physician-led ACOs out there, and that's the largest challenge of this new program for those high-performing physician-led ACOs and making their determination around. You know, one, do I want to participate? And two, um, you know, what does that financially mean for us? 
uh, you know, as you look at the new Pathways to Success program, the first, you know, levels, level A and B, there's no downside risk. So depending on your historical performance, you've got two years to prepare. Uh, if you have historically been in an ACO, you've only got one year to prepare before you're, quote unquote, in the deep end. And, you know, CMS has incorporated a couple aspects of the program um, or to kind of make that, that risk a little bit more palpable. Uh, you know, they've capped downside losses in C, level C, level D, and level E, you know, at a, at a, you know, a uh, manageable amount. But still, you know, if you're a large enough ACO, you know, $500,000, a million dollars in reserves is not something that you're going to be able to collect overnight. So it does require, uh, you know, a significant capital backing. It does require a certain level of sophistication to understand what is our true risk. Um, looking at the historical performance and understanding what is our population like, how have we trended over time, and frankly, understanding the physicians in your ACO and their group and in your group and your ability to change their behavior. And um, that's not a simple, straightforward calculus equation. There's many factors in there that uh, you can't necessarily predict and, 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 um, and weigh for. But that's, that's something that I think also being a part of a larger group and uh, you know, having that capital backing allows you to invest in the right tools, talent, and technology to you know help plan appropriately. So I've I've been asking myself that same question, Morgan, in terms of you know, you've got many of these smaller ACOs who perhaps have saved CMS money over time. They're physician led. They're figuring out a way to make it work, and now they're being forced to downside risk. It's some of the. It's one of the biggest outstanding questions I have with the launch of this program is, how many folks are going to continue to participate? At what level are they going to participate, and how long will they participate? You know, are, are do they do they think today that they can take that that first step uh, into downside risk, but then as time goes on, they're not going to be able to sustainably you know maintain that. Um, it's something I've, I, you know, I've been asking myself and thinking about a lot, but uh, it will be curious to see. And then vice versa, you know, historically, you've got a lot of these, what they're now calling high revenue ACOs who have been sitting in a track one program, maybe driving savings, maybe not, but being in a hospital led uh, ACO, typically, I'm not saying everywhere, but typically, you know, the ACO is not the primary uh, kind of core business. Uh, it's, you know, the hospital that, that keeps the um, keeps the lights on and pays the bills. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what their tolerance of risk is now that they're forced to move to the right and forced to take on risk over a period of time. And is that something they will be willing to do, uh, given the changes to the program? So, I don't know that I answered your question, Morgan, but uh, you know, I th it's a very—it's an intriguing thought exercise to think through how the providers and how the industry is going to react to these changes in the program. And I do think that it's going to substantially change the way that a lot of ACOs out there today are participating and how they're thinking about, you know, the delivery of care and how they. Uh, you know, make decisions internally in terms of their future. Sam, I think, you, like you say, that's a question you've been asking yourself, and I'm sure a lot of those uh, ACO leaders have been asking themselves uh, that same question too. So I really appreciate your 
um, your thoughtful response on that. One other uh, question that comes to mind is what can the ACOs that have decided to proceed in Pathways to Success do in the next 30 days, uh, the next six months, and the next year in order to not only adjust to the changes, but to really thrive in this new program? Yeah, I'm, I'm chuckling to myself, Morgan, because I'm reading my notes and I just wrote down a lot. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a lot that can be done in the next 30 days, you know, six months and obviously a year to acclimate to this. But the first and foremost is, you know, I think you've got to understand yourself. You have to understand your ACO, understand your providers and understand your population and, you know, it's just like anything in life. You can't take on any new challenge without truly understanding your capacity to, you know, perform or to uh, react to that. And that starts internally with, you know, with you as a provider, as an ACO, uh, and uh, within your patient population. So with that said, you know, in the next 30 days, it's, it's really just controlling what you can control and putting the appropriate programs in place to try to offset what you can't. Uh, you know, in six months, it's you continue on continuing to review data and tweak those programs that you put in place um, as necessary. And I think the key thing that we've learned over time, at least I have learned over time, is you can't, you can, frankly, but you're not going to be as successful if you try to tackle everything at once. So identify those greatest opportunities that you have to, you know, improve quality and, and drive savings and create value for your providers and for your patients and, and be very, very focused on those few things. As you start to let that focus creep and you get, you know, a little bit of scope creep and start trying to tackle everything, you're going to find yourself in a position where you're, you're kind of doing everything okay and nothing very well. Uh, and, and that's not a position you want to be in when you've got millions of dollars uh, on the line. So, you know, I'd say over the next 30 days, really start to understand your group and your patients and identify what those opportunities are. You know, in the next six months, really start to operationalize and put those, you know, whatever it is, programs, processes, technology, talent in place. And then over the next year, start to measure and identify if those things are actually driving to the goals and the outcomes that you're trying to achieve and make the changes as necessary. Earlier, you mentioned uh, one of the, uh, I should say, a few of the questions that have been on your mind are how many ACOs are going to participate, at what level, and for how long. So to close everything out, um, I just wanted to know what other questions you have on your mind with regards to Pathways to Success. You know, today's the first day of it. Uh, a lot remains to be seen, and uh, no plan is perfect. But I think by asking the right questions, uh, that's how we get answers that can actually lead to improvements. So um, what else is, uh, is on your mind and uh, what questions do you have? Yeah, well, many is the short answer. Uh, and I think you, you nailed some of the biggest ones <clears throat> that I referenced earlier, such as the participation trends, um, the level of participation and for how long. Those are some of the things I'm really thinking about. Um, and frankly, just trying to think through and ask myself, 
what what are the ultimate things that CMS is trying to achieve with these changes? And you know, we all know the 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 key two, right? Which are improved quality, reduced cost. Yep, we got that. But you know, within that, you know, are there certain areas that CMS knows are kind of the key drivers of increased cost over time um, within their within their markets and across their Medicare population and. And, uh, you know, how are they seeing these program changes as a way to improve those? Um, you know, because that's really where you find success. And is if you truly understand what the program is aimed at, you know, accomplishing and improving and how, how do you align yourself with that. You know, th- there's a, a whole host of other things I'm asking myself about our ACO, you know. Um, what does this mean for us? Uh, what does this mean for us in terms of performance, in terms of uh, our um, willingness to take on risk? What does it mean for us as we look to continue to grow our group and bring like-minded physicians in? And how do we get them to understand the, you know, these sorts of programs in a, in a more quick in a quicker fashion, you know, uh, we've been fortunate to have some time, uh, you know, to ramp providers up uh, as they join the group and get them acclimated to our kind of high-performance culture. Um, but as we go forward, you know, how do we get providers layered into the fold, showing up at our pod meetings, understanding our reports, and understanding the goals of this program in a more timely fashion? Uh, and frankly, that's on us to do. That's uh, you know. That is the whole purpose of us as Privia, to uh, keep independent providers independent, um, but also to bring them on this journey from fee-for-service to value and do so in an effective way and really meet them where they are. So I think that that meeting them where they are is going to be even more challenging uh, as you go and you, you you speak with a provider and about being on the hook for any losses, and it's now all of a sudden has a lot more meaning. So I think, Morgan, we've got many challenges ahead of us. I'm very excited about this. I'm excited about to see what this does to the to the overall healthcare uh, ecosystem and delivery uh, system to see if it, you know, accomplishes its goals of improving patient care and reducing cost. And then another big thing that's open-minded, um, perhaps we can do another podcast on this, is, are some of the changes to the, or some of the new programs that CMS is rolling out uh, through CMMI that they announced about two or three months ago and, and how those programs now all come together to you know, be aiming at a, one single goal. And uh, what's the overlap? What is the industry's reaction to those? And, uh, and what does that look like? So... You can see I tend to ask myself a lot of questions, Morgan. But, um, yeah, again, we're excited, uh, very excited. Our providers are very excited. And I think, um, you know, we're looking forward to how we're positioned um, to be successful in this program and, and looking forward to that partnership. I want to thank Sam Starbuck for joining us on The Break Room today. And thank you for listening. To learn more information about Privia and how we're securing the future for independent providers, please visit priviahealth.com.